Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 216 of the world's greatest Cincinnati Reds podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Join me again this week, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am stupendous, Chad. How are you? Oh, just living the dream over here at Red Leg Nation World Headquarters. So, Jason, i got to say something. First of all, thank you all for downloading. Thanks for listening. Go subscribe. Go to iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. We keep Our, our numbers keep going up every week, and that's because you guys are talking about us. You're leaving ratings. You're leaving reviews. And I've just been blown away this week, not just this week, the, the, this whole spring and summer, by you guys, uh, the listeners of Red Leg Nation Radio. This weekend we had our, our third book signing for this book that's out. Have you heard of this book that's out, Jason? I have. I'm, I'm in fact, reading it right now. Well, put and, it down for a moment. we got to do a podcast. And it is not bad. It is non-terrible, <laughs> I can attest. That is uh, really the best I could have, could have hoped for. I'm, I'm about to cry. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. And, of course, that's the book that uh, uh, Chris Garber and I wrote that's out uh, came out this spring, and we we've done some book signings. Our most recent one was at the Reds Hall of Fame this weekend, and I just I'm, every time we do one of these, I always joke about going in saying that nobody's going to show up, and I, that's my that's my worry. But every time we've had one of these, you guys are co- showing up, mentioning the podcast, uh, saying really nice things, terribly, incredibly nice things that uh, really we don't deserve. Uh, you know, talking about Jason and Doug and Bill and the other guys that do the podcast. And I'm just, um, the Reds for most of this season have been tough to watch. We're going to get into their recent form, which has been much better. But uh, but despite that, I keep telling everyone, you know, what, what have, what's what been your experience with this book thing? And I'm like, I can't believe the passion of Reds fans, even in a tough year, just passionate. And, and that, you know, you guys are, are still downloading the podcast for some reason listening. So I just wanted to begin with a big thank you. Jason, here's my thank you to the listeners of Red Leg Nation Radio. Here's, here's, well, here's where you thank them as well. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Thank you to the listeners of Red Leg Nation Radio. Um, and Chad, if, if you can stand to talk about your book for one more minute, I was going to I express guess. on the air the, the part that I personally am most enjoying as I as I work my way through this. Excellent. Um, there are periodically at the ends of the chapters, there are these little like sort of like bonus snippets. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, the whole yeah. thing is very good and very well done, but I really like the little like sort of extra, extra stuff. Cause you know, I think as, as probably isn't su- surprising to you, I'm fairly well versed in Cincinnati Reds history. So, you know, but I keep finding in those snippets are things that I didn't know or had never heard of. And, and I, I really enjoy that you all managed to find some stuff that I was like, Oh really? Wow. That's interesting. Uh, I really appreciate um, that, Jason. That, uh, oh. that, go ahead. I interrupted you there, but I want to tell you that just, really, that really means a lot. Really well done. And I, you know, I'm often that kind of person. I, I, I very much get into sort of the bonus material as I think of it, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was, uh, all of it's really well done. And, and I think you guys have done a great job of putting it together. I appreciate that because, you know, we've said it on a few of our interviews that we've done, uh, about the book that one thing we wanted to do was make sure that it was a narrative. These are stories. We want to make sure that it's not just, you know, there's two outs and this guy's on third and stuff like that. We want them to be stories that an, a casual fan could pick up and read and learn about the Reds. But we also, we all the research we did, we wanted to find something in every single chapter that we didn't know. Things that, uh, you know, hardcore Reds fan are going to know. And sometimes those didn't really fit into the narrative 
that well. And so that's what we did. We'd put a little sidebar, a little box with the extra, just because we wanted to squeeze certain things in that we thought were fascinating or that we didn't know or that, that we thought people would enjoy. So that's why it means so much to hear you uh, have that response. And, and I didn't prompt you to say that if, if anyone actually believes that. But uh, that's exactly what we were going for, and I appreciate that. It's uh, we want well, we, we want to hit people that, that don't know much about the Reds and people that know a lot about the Reds, and want both of them to be able to enjoy it. It's certainly no problem. And let's be honest: if anybody has listened to this podcast more than two or three times, they know that you can't make me say anything. <laughs> you are not the boss of me, Chadwick Dotson. That is that is actually true, unfortunately. So this is Jason's last episode of Red Leg Nation Radio. <laughs> Adam Dunsaw. <laughs> oh come on, man. That that reminds me as well, uh, since he reminded me, it was on my list of things to talk about. I was going to mention it uh, later, but I'll go ahead and say it. Go pick up a a copy of this month's Cincinnati Magazine if you're out there, because they have an excerpt of the book in the magazine this week. And I'm just, I'm uh, I'm in love with the layout. They did some original artwork for the piece and it's, it's our Adam Dunn chapter. They're running it basically to celebrate the fact that Dunn's going into the Reds Hall of Fame this month. And uh, so they chose that chapter to run as an excerpt. And I'm so appreciative of Cincinnati Magazine for doing that. The magazine has been, been really good to both of us. Um, and just go pick it up and, and enjoy the, the artwork and the work they did to lay that thing out. It looks great. Go out and uh, get Cincinnati Magazine on your book stands. All right, there we go. Is that enough plugs for one day? I think that is enough plugs for one day. Okay. Before we get into the meat of this uh, podcast, I do want to say one thing. I'm going to try something new. Let's see if it works. I don't know if it will or not. If you want to ask a question on the podcast, send us an MP3. Record your question and email it to me at chaddotson at redlegnation.com. And we can maybe work in the actual audio of your call. And so let's see, how, in lieu of doing an actual call in, which some people have requested uh, recently, and, and some, someone did at our most recent book signing. But let's try that. Call in, ask a question uh, to us about anything. I don't care if it's about the Reds, just make sure that it's uh, family friendly. And, uh, and we'll try to answer it on a future podcast. You just you just completely eliminated uh, Coop from the possibilities. Of <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Philip might be able to do one. He, he can maybe hold himself, but no, Coop or, or Jer or any of those guys. They're yeah, no way. Um, all right. So let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Let's talk about the Reds who play baseball in Cincinnati. They do play baseball in Cincinnati, and, and recently they're playing pretty good baseball. Just won two out of three against the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, two out of three against the Chicago White Sox. They've won 13 of their last 17 games, 16 of their last 22. Have you purchased your playoff tickets yet? Uh, no, not yet, but I'm budgeting. You know, the Reds have this interleague play. They've destroyed the American League Central. And Yeah, the uh, the Reds would be, as, as yes. Trent tweeted, in second place in the Central. <laughs> they would be in the thick of the playoff race if they were in the American League Central. Well, they would be second in the American League Central. Yeah, well, that's the thick of the division race, I guess. <laughs> so, sort of. Um, yeah, no, how about these Reds? They're playing well They're over their last, uh, let's see, since June the 10th, they've averaged uh, almost six and a half runs a game. The pitching's better. The hitting's certainly better. Uh, what is, what's up with this team? I guess it's all Jim Riggleman, right? No. It's called being healthy. <laughs> it is. Um, it's also called, you know, and, and, and if you think about it, um, you know, Bailey and Finnegan, who are not pitching well, have been replaced by these Clefani and Harvey in the rotation. Like that makes a difference as noted Suarez and Shebler are healthy. Uh, the bullpen is healthy. It's, you know, this really is a much different team than it was at the start of the season. And, and it shows in terms of performance. 
Well, it is. I mean, you know, the Reds, that, that's a huge, just in and of itself, that's a huge upgrade from what we got, yeah. the Reds got out of Homer Bailey and Brandon Finnegan. And I don't think, I think Finnegan's better than what he showed, maybe not as a starter, but he's certainly a better pitcher than that. Or Bailey, who knows, but just removing those two, getting a, uh, a bit of a resurgent Matt Harvey and, uh, and then Anthony Scafani, who when he's been healthy, he's always been good. That's, that's like, you know, that's cr- ridiculous how big of a, a, a jump that is. And then when you include the fact that guys like Luis Castillo and Sal Romano and Tyler Malley are all, you know, pitching somewhat better, Malley especially, since then, it's huge. And then it coincided with the Reds offense getting healthy and, and starting to hit better. And it's, you know, we I think we said it last week, Jason. It, it's a lot closer to the team that you and I saw coming into the year. Over, over the last 30 games, and here's something that fans can be legitimately excited about. The Reds are tied for the best record in the National League. That's not nothing. That's, I mean, that's a month. Yeah, that's real that's baseball. A, a month. They're the only team who's matched them, they're 18 and 12 over their last 30 games. The only team to match them is Arizona. Wow, first place uh, in the uh, National League West, Arizona. Oh, no, whoops, I stand, I stand corrected. The Dodgers have bested both of those teams, but, uh, but no one else has. There you the go. Dodgers are 21 and 9, but still. You're talking, you're talking about two teams that would be in the playoffs if the playoffs started today, uh, I think, yeah. if I'm not wrong, yeah. And uh, versus the team that's in last place, although creeping closer to fourth, only two and a half games behind Pittsburgh for fourth place. It's happening. They're overtaking the Pirates. It's got, it's got to happen. Absolutely. Um, but again, we can we can harp on, and people want to give Jim Riggleman credit. And I'm, listen, Jim Riggleman gets some credit. He, you know, he's doing some dumb things, but he's also, you know, he, uh, I said the other day he's betting Scott Shebler and Tucker Barnhart one two, and there's no other manager in Reds history that would have had the guts to to do that. And and you know. It's not necessarily how I would do it, but I don't. I can't argue with that lineup. I like the fact that he puts a catcher at second uh, with the idea that he can get on base. So, so give Rigman some credit, but come on, it's just the team got healthy and we got rid of the, a lot of the dead weight. Uh, not just Homer Bailey and Brandon Finnegan, but you know Giovanni Gallardo and the Cliff Penningtons and all those that we talk about. So, it's the closer to the team we we don't need to keep harping on that. But this is the team we told you the Reds would be, and um, better late than never, I guess. Yes. Yes, better late than never. Never, boy. You know, it would have been nice if the season could have started this way, but yeah, it's not how it's gonna be. You know what? It could have. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can say that. It's a shame they had to start three and eighteen. They they didn't have to. That's on management. I'm not going to give them a pass on it, but yeah, that's true. But the fact is, this team right now is a team that. Is uh, you can you don't have to really squint too hard and see them making some moves to really be a competitive team next year, and that's pretty exciting. They really do all of a sudden look like instead of the, the first month where they looked like a team with like twenty different holes that they needed to fill, they look much more more like we expected, which is a team with like you know two to four holes that need to be filled and can be filled. Right. Yeah. They absolutely can be filled. I mean, you you can uh, you know we've been saying for a while they have you know. Shortstop and center field probably could be upgraded, and uh, you know one or two pitchers, at least two pitchers, I would think. But let's talk about shortstop for a moment, Jason. You want you want to do that? I do want to talk about shortstop because I actually think people are going to get mad at me. I'm going to make people hashtag mad online. Uh, I don't think the Reds need a shortstop. I think they have one, and I think his name is Jose Peraza. Okay, now I want to get into this because I don't disagree with you. I'm fascinated by this, and I want to sort of inquire as you're thinking. I know you've dug into the numbers a little bit, but here's my perspective. 
I've been saying, let's put Nixon's Zealot shortstop for a while. That's not going to happen this year, obviously, as Senzel is out for the year. But my thinking there was, I had a hard time making the case that it's not because I don't like Jose Peraza. He's too young to really know what he's going to be uh, for sure just yet. But I just, I don't think he's going to be Nick Senzel, and I wanted to find a spot to put Nick Senzel in the lineup. Right. So, uh, but as Jose Peraza, the more he plays here, the more you start seeing some things that make you think this guy could really be really be a legitimate big league shortstop. And, and what did the numbers tell you when you dug into them? Well, first, I think, you know, the, the place I want to start is this. So Jose Peraza is 24, like just turned 24 a couple months ago. Yeah. He's like Jesse Winker age. He's younger than Jesse Winker. <laughs> See, right? He's nine months younger than Jesse Winker. So he is younger now than Jesse. He is essentially exactly the same age now as when Jesse, Jesse Winker was when he debuted last year. Right. So if you had a shortstop come up, now we're talking shortstop. We're not talking first baseman, right? And he's like solid to good with the glove. And he comes up as a 24-year-old rookie and hits 275, 322, 381. It's an above average on base percentage. It's, you know, maybe there could be more power, but we're talking about a shortstop. Who's complaining about that? Everyone on Twitter. You know what? I don't think they would be. Twitter? That's all they do is get mad. No. I think if he came up and hit like he's hitting right now, I honestly don't think that many people would complain. I think what people are, in fact, complaining about are his numbers from last year. That's what I really think people are complaining about. And and this is my favorite number about him um, because it comes with a story, which is that I was I did a piece for the Hardball Times um, on Hernani Barn, who's a a player for the Louisville Bats who's had contact with a lot of Reds players. He's an interesting guy. People should absolutely go read that story if they if they feel inclined. Um, not because of my writing, but because Arnon is just such an interesting human being. And also because your writing is really good. Well, okay. I wasn't going to say it, but <laughs> since you said it, I'll, I'll take the compliment. Thank right. you. But anyway, I was talking to him for this story, and we he's kind of close to Praza, like they know each other. And, and we got into a side conversation um, about him, and he just happened to mention, like, we all remember – how ho- how bad Jose Peraza started the season, right? I remember that, it. That like horrible 0 for 12, looked like he didn't know what he was doing at the plate stretch, right? Well, Ira Barron told me that he was like texting with Peraza after that. And Peraza like, he he, did, he wasn't like, I did this and Peraza fixed it. He's like, no, 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 he just, they were talking. And he said Peraza made an adjustment. And since then, since those like over that over twelve, after which Pros was like, whoa, whoa, whoa I got to change something here. He's hit two eighty five, three thirty three, three ninety five, which is a ninety six W runs created plus. So he's been four percent below league average as a hitter while playing the most important defensive position outside of catcher on the field right. since the first three games of the season. He's been a good shortstop, and the numbers, the wins above replacement numbers, agree. They either rate him as very slightly above average to this point in the season, which is fan graphs, or a little more above average, which is baseball reference. He looks to be like a two-and-a-half to three-win player at shortstop as a 24-year-old. So he's not at his peak yet. He's four years off of his peak, and he's putting up average to above average numbers at a very difficult position to find someone who can play it well. Well, the point is, if he is an, can be an average shortstop at his age, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's something. I mean, that's, that's huge. It's a, it's a big time uh, development for the, for this uh, rebuild. 
And the, the reason we're talking about this, I, I should tell people, is that either I think it will come out tomorrow, it might be Monday, but I'm going to have a piece for Cincinnati Magazine um, about Jose Peraza making the case that he should be there, um, there every day, shortstop for the foreseeable future. And, you know, one of the things I dug into, and yes, obviously there are counterexamples, but I just give some examples. Specifically, I give um, the examples of uh, Concepcion, Larkin, and Ozzie Smith. They're hitting numbers to the point where Peraza is. Larkin is the only one of those three who's better than Peraza was to this age, and he wasn't that much better. Yeah, barely. And I encourage everyone to go read that when it's published. Uh, we'll be linking to it. Uh, um, that's crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things where shorts, I, I, I kind of wonder, you know, if shortstops kind of like catchers are one of those positions where with the bat, they just kind of take a little bit to develop. Like the focus is so much on defense that it just takes them a little bit longer to get there with the bat, especially I think because shortstops often tend to be, you know, kind of the the kind of the smallest player on the field. You know what I mean? Like they tend right. to be the thinnest player. You know, they're, they're athletic in a very particular way that doesn't lend itself to, like, power hitting and things like that. Um, and you, as you see them kind of grow into themselves a little bit, you know, I don't know about you, but even though I'm the same height that I've been since I was, like, you know, 19 years old, you, something happens to your body between about 19 and 25. You kind of fill out a little bit. And if you're a shortstop and you don't come with that already on, on you, like a lot of shortstops don't, then, you know, it's very easy for me to imagine that you need to grow in into yourself a little bit and, you know, all of a sudden you can hit better. And, and Peraza has also, this is an important note that I, um, he has been hitting the ball harder than he's ever hit it before in his career. His hard hit percentage is up more than 8% this year. It's one of the highest, I saw just the other day, I don't remember who I was reading it, but, but uh, who wrote the piece, but it's one of the biggest increases in exit velocity, hard hit percentage of anyone in the majors. It's like one of the top five or something. Yeah. Increases. And you know what? If somebody his age starts hitting the ball in a way where it looks like he's maybe figured it out, you know, he's maybe figured it out. This is, we're talking about half a season of data now. We're getting into the, this is not a fluke area. Um, and, you know, another area where people sometimes, rag on Peraza is his walk rate. And his walk rate certainly is not ideal, right? The 5.5% walk rate is not great. It's substantially below league average. But you know what the other thing is? His strikeout rate is less than half of league average. So if you're putting the ball in play, he's, he's a 1980 shortstop is what he is. He puts the <laughs> ball in play all the time. He never strikes out. Relative to the, to the modern era, he never strikes out. And so he's just different. He's not what we're used to seeing, but he has absolutely grown into a player who has real value and has the potential to be an above average contributor at the major league level. Well, let me tell you what clicked with me just a moment ago when you said something about, uh, you know, he'd made, he made an adjustment and, and things have been better. You know, we had this conversation in the off season and, and close to the end of last season. If you'll recall the last couple of months of last year, sort of a highly, uh, publicized piece in the Cincinnati Enquirer about him making a certain adjustment. His walk rate in the last couple of months was significantly up. And, uh, you know, now we're getting close to a year since then. And uh, the walk rate's not been great overall, maybe, but it's showing uh, progress in the right direction. And so, first of all, he's a kid, so he's learning. 
and uh, he's doing this for extended periods of time. I'm not ready to say he's going to be uh, Barry Larkin or Ozzy Smith or even Davy Concepcion. Right, no, and we shouldn't be. Like, no. you know, and I, I do note in the piece that there are also examples of shortstops who came up and hit like this and then had nothing for a career. Right. It could happen. I mean, you just don't know. But the fact that there's still a chance that he can be a – a, a real above average contributor on a good baseball team that that's still that possibility is still out there and i think a lot of people because of some of his struggles had completely given up on that and at times i hadn't completely given up on it but i'd kind of just said okay well if it happens good i'm not giving up on him because he's young but i wasn't counting on it and i'm still not counting on it i guess but there's a not insignificant chance that he's a decent player there's a reason he was a top prospect uh back in the day yeah. And I mean, you know, I was, I think partially because, you know, when, when the Reds first picked him up, um, you know, he was in AAA and I was com- going to bats games all the time and I saw him come over and he wasn't what I expected. You know, his plate approach for somebody who didn't walk very much was a lot better than I expected it to be. He really put the bat, the bat on the ball pretty good, much, you know, I was expecting to see sort of Billy Hamilton level contact. And I was seeing, you know, much harder contact than that. And he did my, that in his first taste of the majors with the Reds. Remember that yeah. first uh, that first call up, right? And I was like, well, okay, this, you know, this guy is is legit. And then, you know, last year was just, I mean, I don't know that it could have gone any worse for him than it went last year. Um, but boy, man, he's been awfully good this year. Okay, uh, let me just make this quick point. It couldn't have gone worse for him last year. Although the last two months of the year, he was good. But he's a 23-year-old who is starting in the big leagues consistently for the first time. Jason, when I was 23, I couldn't walk across the street without getting hit by a bus. Well, you know, you were a particularly talented person, Chad, (laughs) in certain ways. I'm saying that. What you mean? Like, it's it's a lot of pressure. Uh, He's a kid. He's still a kid. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, this has really opened my eyes a little bit on Peratz, and it's really it's, – it's exciting. It is one of those things where I was like – I was kind of watching. I'm like, you know, I think the Reds should stick with Peraza. You know, I am, and I pitched to the editor, and he said, okay, sure. You know, go ahead and write it. And uh, and I was like, okay. And so I started researching, and I was of the – you know, when I initially had the idea for the piece, I was of the idea that, you know, it looks like Peraza's growing. The Reds probably should stick with him because if he keeps growing, it, it, it may very well pay off. And what I found was, oh, no, no, no. If he keeps growing, he's going to be really good. If he's just at this level, then it's probably going to pay off because, you know, three war shortstops don't grow on trees. Absolutely. Now, here's my question, and and I'm not sure that we have an answer to this or that we can even uh, draw any firm conclusions. But the question is going to be, he's at probably the most important defensive position on the field, and can he handle the, the position defensively and my eye test says he's at least average uh, but i don't know that i trust any of the defensive metrics these days uh, with all the shifts and everything i'm just not sure what we can what we can trust and what we can't um do we think he can be what's your opinion on his uh his ceiling defensively as a shortstop i think good for a shortstop which is to say very very good for for most players defensively. He's got the athleticism. He's got the arm. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, he's never going to be Cozart, um, you know, and, and, and so he'll, he'll always suffer by comparison a little bit there. 
but he is a very good shortstop, I think. And he, I can also tell you, has improved dramatically since I saw him. And he has, you know, this is one of those things that you never know because Billy Hamilton has this reputation too, and he has the same issues that he's had for four years, even though he's known as a hard worker. But Peraza is definitely known uh, from the people I've talked to as a hard worker. Um, and so, I, you know, and I've seen that to my eyes, especially in his work on the field. There, there are definitely plays that he makes in Cincinnati now on a fairly regular basis that I don't think he would have made in Louisville a couple of years ago. So we had a uh, a podcast at the beginning of spring training, right after they announced that uh, Nick Senzel was going to play some at shortstop, and we had a conversation about that, you and I, in yeah. which really we said the ultimate conclusion, as I recall it, was that, wow, if he can play shortstop, this is a huge thing for the rebuilding process because it eliminates a position uh, which they have to improve. Let's say that Jose Peraza, by the end of this season, we're all convinced that he can be the guy at shortstop. And so so that's not quite the same as having Nick Senzel there because he, Nick Senzel with his bat would be an, uh, a superstar at shortstop if he could handle it. But to me, what that does is the Reds, you got to assume, have limited resources to fill in the gaps in this team. Right. If you've got a third baseman, a shortstop, a second baseman, depending on what they do with, with Scooter, a first baseman, a catcher, and one, maybe two outfielders, Shebler and Winkler, Wink, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, or whoever the other guy is uh, in the outfield. All of a sudden, you know, you've got a lot. Then Nick Senzel you got to plug in somewhere, along with all these other second base prospects, etc. All of a sudden, you've got a lot of good players for not very many positions, and that's a great problem to have. All of a sudden, it's another step forward for this rebuild if Peratz is yeah. actually a player. To me, that's the most exciting thing about the possibility that Peratz might actually be a shortstop. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree completely. I, I'm to the point now where I think, offensively speaking, like just in, term, in, ter- as in, in terms of the lineup, I really think the only thing that the Reds need is a center fielder. Um, and it pains me to say that because I love Billy Hamilton. I don't think, I, I think Scott Shebler could probably handle it, but I think given the other options that the Reds have and the corner outfield spots, it would be a pretty brutal outfield defense. Whereas I think if you can get a good center fielder and then have, you know, Shebler and Winker flanking that center fielder, then I think you really might have something working well here's what i think and i don't know that it'll work out this way because they're going to make a decision on billy hamilton really soon if parazza can be an average bat with an above average glove i think you can live with billy hamilton you just bat him ninth and uh you know he plays spectacular defense i think you can live with him and then you can focus all your resources on acquiring uh some pitching yeah that's that is actually a very solid point you actually was looking at things and, and tweeted earlier today that um, it is possible now for the Reds to start a lineup in which only the pitcher and one outfielder, either Duvall or Hamilton, depending on who's in the lineup, uh, have an on-base percentage that is below the league average. So that's, I mean, that's an offense that's going to score some runs. So at, at that point, well, as they have, this as, has been an excellent offense. Absolutely, and 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 should and, and a young offense by and large. Yeah. And so should be expected to possibly be able to repeat that next year and the year after. And so 
then you, you start saying, well, where do we need to fill in? And you still, you know, you, you got to get some depth and then you have to get some pitching. And, uh, you know, you go out and get Clayton Kershaw and all of a sudden we're in the mix here. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I, you say like, you know, you kind of throw Clayton Kershaw's name out there, but if they don't have any other big hole they need to fill, God, go blow it all on a pitcher, like a good pitcher. Or you've got some minor league depth. If yeah. you've you got 15 guys that can play second base, trade 12 of them. <laughs> you know, that's a hyperbole, but uh, but, but, spend, but not by much. Not by it's much. not. Oh trade some of these guys and get a pitcher in here. Yeah. But, I, you know. or Or, like you said, let's drop some money on a guy. People don't like me saying it, but boy, I mean, are you telling me that the right AL team couldn't really use Scooter Jeanette at DH? <laughs> Nobody wants to trade him, and I understand that because yeah. the guy can hit. I mean, he can hit. Um, I can't believe that someone can't use him in the American League. It's you know, it's it's one of those things where this is actually I just it just sort of clarified in my brain, sort of like how to how to make the argument for why Scooter Jeanette should be traded. Scooter Jeanette is an excellent baseball player. I've come around. I've seen the like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Let's say he's a, a four to five win player, which I think is probably about right, right now. Right. Yeah. That's a good player. At the position that he plays, the Reds have someone in the minor leagues who is probably will give larger error bars because he hasn't played yet, but he's probably a three to seven win player right now. And I'd be real surprised if he only put up three wins above replacement. Well, I think the thing about Nick Senzel, who you're, who you're talking about, is that he's got that low floor. He may not, who knows what his ceiling is going right. to be, where he's going to be, but, but we know enough now to know that he's not going to flame out. He's not going to be Brandon yeah. Larson. And he's, and he's younger. So, you know, I get it. You know, Jeanette is good. He is good, but he's good at a place where the Reds have lots of good options. So if you can trade him and strengthen yourself in another area where you don't have a lot of good options, then the team as a whole ends up being better, even though you've given up a player who was really good. It could be, you know, one of these trades where you look at it and you're like, oh, well, this was a great deal for both teams. Yeah, absolutely. It can strengthen some team that has some depth at pitching. Yeah. And the Reds have depth at second base. And so you, you sort of exchange strengths. And help both teams. And and Scooter's going to help a team. It, it may be the Reds that he helps. I don't know. I mean, I, I love Scooter. I'm not saying that they have to trade him. No, like I said, I've you know, it. I was slower than most. I tend to be slower than people, <laughs> most people on these things because I'm like eh, 200 plate appearances. I'm not sure, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, the sample size is large enough now. Yeah. No, I've come around. He, yeah, he, he can't deny he, it. He can hit. He can't play defense, but he can hit. Yeah. He can hit well enough that it doesn't matter that he can't play defense. <laughs> That's actually a good point. He's so good with the bat that it uh, really minimizes the damage he does the other way around. So, yeah. Um, so okay. So you trade if it's not him. Trade you can. You got some depth here to trade somebody for some pitching, which I've been saying. And and then you can also go out and sign somebody. Yeah. Let's get two good pitchers in here. Which is which is what the Reds need. They need two starting pitchers. Yes. One would be Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> the other would be obviously Luis Alberto. Bonilla. Ah, Luis Alberto Bonilla. <laughs> um, no, seriously, though, two good pitchers in here with this offense, and this team is in the mix. Yes. Baseball is crazy. You don't, you know, you can't 
say much more than they're in the mix. But if you're in the mix, as we discussed before the season when we both said they have a chance of making the playoffs, if you're in the mix, you're there, man. you got a chance. That's all, that's all I'm asking for. Get in the conversation. And they're close. But let me ask you this, Jason. I, I say they're close. Is am, am I being blinded by the fact they've played well here just for a month or so? No, I think that if this team has two more legit starting pitchers, they are a contender, period. We're not overreacting. No. Look, their bullpen is one of the best bullpens in the league. Their lineup is one of the best lineups in the league. The only place they are currently weak is starting pitching. And, you know, look, Matt Harvey is going to be gone. You know, he, you wrote a piece about this. He needs to be traded. He just – he does. Even if you really love Matt Harvey and you want to see him signed, fine. Trade him and then sign him in the offseason when he becomes a free agent. But trade him now. Let's dig into that just for a moment because I did get some pushback on that. I made the case this week that, you know, hey, Matt Harvey, this is fun, but the Reds have no choice, none, but to trade him. And the reason why are, number one, they got him for a backup catcher. We all love Devin Mesoraco. I'm not criticizing him, but Devin Mesoraco had very little value on the trade market. They traded for him as a lottery ticket. And, hey, right now it's starting to look like Matt Harvey, who's had three really good starts in a row, He might be. they might be able to cash in this lottery ticket. And are they going to get somebody great for him? Who knows? I don't know what's out there. But whatever they get is going to be more than they would have gotten for Devin Mesoraco. And so it's an ultimate win for the organization. They upgrade. And, and, and you got to chalk that one up into the the uh, positive column for Reds management. And we've been critical of Reds management. They traded Dylan Floro this week, who we also like, but they got him for free. And they traded him for a couple of guys that could be useful arms. Hey, it's a win. Same thing with yep. Matt Harvey. The flip side is, are you going to sign him? Sign Matt Harvey to a long-term deal right now, which is what people want to do. He's had three good starts in a row. He's been, you know, he's got like a 3.8 ERA with the Reds. He's been good with the Reds overall. And some people say, well, let's just go ahead and sign him. We got the Reds have to commit to good pitchers at some point. I'm like, yeah, we need to get good pitchers. But are you going to commit? If you're Bob Castellini, you're going to commit millions and millions of dollars to a guy who's had, you know, one good month, but has had arm had elbow surgery and had shoulder surgery uh, and who has, uh, you know, lost velocity, although he's got some of that velocity back, he's not back exactly where he was. But is that the guy you want to commit to long-term, this guy that's had the, all these arm problems and just a month ago was basically released, designated for assignment to the minors by the New York Mets? I mean, yes, the Reds need to spend money on pitchers, which is what you and I have been saying. Matt Harvey's not the pitcher you commit those dollars to, so you got to trade him. Now, tell me where I'm wrong, Jason. I cannot because you are entirely correct. That's the reason I asked the question that way because I knew you were going to agree for the first time ever. <laughs> you know, you can't keep saying that I agreed with you for the first time ever. Every time I agree with you, eventually people are going to catch on. <laughs> it feels like the first time ever. Every You're time. only wrong most of the time, Chad, <laughs> not all of the time. That's true. That's true. Um, so, so the Reds need to spend on pitching. They don't need to spend on Matt Harvey. So right. if they get something for him, great. If they get something that's going to help the Reds for the next four years more than uh, Devin Mesoraco would have, then that's a win-win. It's a win-win. So it's been fun to watch him, though. Yeah, no, it's been it's been delightful to watch him, and you know he he it's been an interesting story as well. You know, I I I, I was I mean I, I I think we podcasted on it, and I think the best way to describe our reaction to the trade when it happened is meh. <laughs> well, 
the night that it dropped, if you recall, uh, if those of you know what Slack is, that's a, uh, it's a thing for internal communications among teams, basically, uh, in organizations. And our, the Red Leg Nation Slack channel, the night that uh, Matt Hart, they traded for Matt Harvey, was I don't know, a little bit of a mess. We were trying to muddle our way through what happened. And uh, the best we could make of it was, well, it's a lottery ticket. He can't, you know, he, he could possibly bring more than Mesoraco. It looks like that's going to happen. But yeah. we were also a little bit like, what? This guy's been garbage for a couple of years and you you know sort of this is worth here here's a thing worth talking about both in reference to matt harvey and and to some extent it you know to to like scooter Jeanette and um well it's scooter Jeanette, scooter Jeanette. that's who i was talking about sorry i have a couple of players i want to talk about which is that you know you get this complaint often on uh the twitter machine or in the comments of Red Leg Nation, the Reds never commit to any good players. We need to, we need to extend our good players. We need to, you know, we need to extend them, right? Well, the kinds of players they say that about tend to be these kind of like late peaking guys where it feels like you've kind of caught lightning in a bottle. Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier, Zach Cozart, mm-hmm. Chris Sabo, if we want to go back a little bit farther. Look at the go look at the numbers of these guys after they leave the Reds. Yeah. Who are the guys they need to be committing to? Eugenio Suarez. Joey Votto. Joey Votto. You know, people I I am not Brandon Phillips' biggest fan, but that deal worked. Like, you know, people for some reason that's gotten a rap as like a, a bad contract or whatever. But it actually wasn't a bad contract. It it worked exactly like those contracts are supposed to work which is that the Reds got a ton of surplus value at the front end of it. And then by the end of it, he wasn't worth what he was being paid, but he'd already you know, earned his, his money. He ended up being paid al- almost exactly what the, the various analyses say he was worth, worth over the course of the contract. So in terms of extensions, the Reds really have done pretty well. But let's make this point, specifically with respect to Matt Harvey. And the complaints that the Reds never, you know, they got to have pitching. They never, you know, sign these guys. They got to, at some point, they got to sign. You and I are going to be first at the plate to hammer the Reds if they don't make a significant investment in pitching. And I'm talking about in terms of dollars. But they got to do it smart. They can't just go sign Matt Harvey. You know, do it smart like they did with Eugenio Suarez. Yes. You know, find a guy that's worth committing to for multiple years. Matt Harvey's not that guy. It's, we're not saying. Oh, the Reds are poor. They can't afford Matt Harvey. We're saying it doesn't make any sense to commit those dollars to Matt Harvey. Commit him to some, and I don't know who, but to someone that's a better bet to be a, a solid pitcher for the next four years. If listen, this is this is how I sort of like rank things. Okay, the number one player you sign to an extension is the player who is above average before his peak years and in the organization, so you know everything that it is possible to know about him. Gino, Joey. Right. The number two player that you sign is the guy who is hitting free agency at an inexplicably young age, mm-hmm. but has been an excellent player. So like a Manny Machado type. Yeah. Nobody in the Reds yeah. organization because they don't ever call their guys up to the majors enough for them to get right. hit free agency yes. early. But, you, know, you know, Manny Machado is going to get paid in a big way this offseason, but he's also a, a, you know, the best bet you can have to continue to produce for a long time. The third thing you do is the the guys who are hitting free agency who have been good for their entire careers and healthy for their entire careers. 
And then if you're real desperate, you sign somebody who's been good lately and hurt some in his career. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Reds have got to sort of use that hierarchy to decide who they're going to target. But they have to be smart about it. But but we're not saying because they're not signing Scooter Jeanette even or Matt Harvey long term that they're not willing to commit. I, you know, I think they got to be smart. And I don't know. I mean, I, we're, I'm going to I'm going to complain and scream about it if they don't make a significant investment to improve this team in the off season. Because you and I agree, the money's there. It's time to start plugging it back into the uh, major league payroll. Yeah. And this is the year. They're showing now that this is a team that we thought they'd be, and it's time to start filling in those holes and really make a push. And Yeah, and, you know, it's also, yeah, fill those holes. And, and it's time also to just, as you mentioned earlier, it's time to start trading for need. Yeah. Well, let me ask yeah. you this then. That, that brings us into something that I keep getting on, on Twitter all the time, so much so that I had to pin my, uh, to my profile the, my common answer to this, which is, what if the Reds keep winning for the next three weeks? What if they're, you know, uh, getting closer to 500, which, you know, come on, but should they be buyers at the, at the trade deadline? And, and my response to all those is, first of all, the Reds should not be sellers just for the sake of selling. Okay, it's time to start targeting where they need to improve. And if they can sell someone to help improve in these areas, that's what you and I have been talking about tonight, then they should. But my response is, every single decision that the Reds make at the trade deadline this year needs to be with an eye on improving the Reds over the next four years and not for the next two months to try to make some kind of crazy last-ditch effort to win the wild card. Which is not, I mean, they're you know that's not completely impossible at this point. They could get into the wild card race, but... Uh, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, and I, I once again agree completely. Like, yeah, it's just let's not get no. crazy. Yeah, it, it, by some miracle they make the playoffs. Great, no, but you're right. They shouldn't be sellers. As in, it is not time. It is not the time in which you trade off. You know, players you have controlled for a while. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, let's let's start filling in the holes. Bidders for prospects. No, you don't do that. It's not. It's not get piles of prospects time. It's fill in the gaps for the next several years so that you can make a real run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you know, they traded Dylan Floro, who's been a good pitcher this year, and they got two, you know, young, really young pitchers. And everybody a lot of people were saying, Oh gosh, here we go. They're just gonna trade everybody for prospects. And I'm like, first of all, Dylan Floro, they got him for free. He was a minor league signing and they turned him into two guys that have a chance of being pitchers. That's great business. But when I said the Reds should have. Here's how beaten down the, the the Reds fan base is at this point. When I said the Reds should make any deals at the trade deadline with an eye to improving the team for the next four years, what too many people heard was the Reds need to every trade they need make now needs to be so that they're good four years from now. As if you know we're getting guys in single or double A that will make sure they're good in four years from now. No, I'm saying they need to be good for each of the next four years. They need to be making trades for guys that can help next year and the year after and the year after. You know, it's it's time to start plugging in and improving the major league roster, not the franchise, not the minor league system. And, you know, I'm just going to go back to the to the Dylan Floro thing. It's just like I'm just I'm begging people, people out there in 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 Red Leg Nation radio land. Please just listen to me here. Listen, Dylan Floro is twenty seven and a half. 
he has thrown 61 innings total in the major leagues. He was good for the Reds this year. Cool. Relief pitchers that have had one good season or one half good season, a, a dime a dozen is, is overstating it. They're everywhere. And they don't tend to repeat their performance over and over. These are not the guys you latch onto. And it is a smart move to capitalize on somebody wanting to trade potential valuable prospects to you for one of them. Yes. I mean, I feel like we've been critical of the Reds' uh, front office with good reason, but they traded a guy they signed to a minor league contract. And one of the guys they got back was a guy that was drafted last year in the fourth round, but the Dodgers paid him second-round money yeah. because that's where you know that's what his talent level was. And the he Reds just got him for Dylan Floro. He had committed to college, right? Is that the deal? Yeah, yeah. So they were tr- trying to convince him to sign. Yeah. So a second-round talent for Dylan Floro, who was a minor league invite to uh, spring training this year and didn't make the team. I mean, just a, it's a beautiful piece of business by Dick Williams and Nick Crawl. It's just it's a sort of small scale and it's not going to make too many headlines, but I think that's just gorgeous. I think that's what this team needs to be doing, and I love it. And you know, that's the kind of stuff that in a couple of years we could very well be like. You know, it could be like how the Reds got a Eugenio Suarez for the yes. loaded corpse of Alfredo Simon, or heck, they got Anthony DiSclefani for Matt Latos's past expiration shoulder. Yeah. Or Luis like, Castillo for Dan Straley, yeah. who had one good, decent season. Yeah, yes, those are, I mean, quality moves that, that have contributed greatly to the quality of baseball, like the, the high quality of baseball that you're seeing played right now. So what we're saying is the team is great and that Jose Peraza is going to be at least as good as David Concepcion, but maybe Barry Larkin or Ozzy Smith, and the Reds are going to win the World Series next year. Yes, exactly correct. That's our conclusion. So you heard it here first. Jason is guaranteeing that Jose Peraza's floor is David Concepcion. His ceiling, Barry Larkin. Oh, Chad. Is that not what you said? Did I misunderstand your entire... Not as bad as the time you retweeted the Scooter Jeanette thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I got you in trouble on that one. You really did. <laughs> Sorry about that's, that, buddy. That, that's the ugliest my mentions have ever been. Oh, man. I think I had to go and hit like a home run that night or two home runs of or course. something. Yeah, of course. Oh, so, um, it's, I keep coming back to this, but it's really not a stretch to say if they can get two pitchers, they're a playoff team. No, it's not. It's not at all. I mean, I thought they were a playoff team without those two pitchers. Like, I'm not talking about Scott Feldman. Right, yeah, we're talking two youngish, average uh, to above average uh, type pitchers or better. I think um, you need. Well, I think you need a legit ace. I well, think you need one of the two has to be legit. Yeah, you can have another inning average innings eater. You, you need a number one, and then you need a three four guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because if you get a one, and we're not going to count on Discafani to be healthy, but you know, Discafani or Castillo or Mali, any of the three could turn, could be a legit number two. Yeah, next year. Um. I think Molly's pretty darn close right now. Golly, he keeps getting better. I swear. I think he's going to end up being my favorite player. I, I love watching that guy. He throws strikes. He just – we keep saying Greg Maddox, and that's completely unfair to the guy. But that's the guy that I think of because he just has a clue on the mound, man. He just knows what he's doing, and it's fun to watch. He's not as good as Greg Maddox. What? Maybe he is. No. So we've got Greg Maddox in the, in the rotation. We've got uh, Barry Larkin at shortstop. 
This is starting to look good. <laughs> Big, Boy, red machi- Big Red Machine Part 2? Larkin on the same team. Oh, man, can you imagine? Okay, so essentially what we've dis- the conclusions we've drawn here are that it's the second coming of the Big Red Machine, and that will begin in 2019. Sure, yeah, sounds yeah, good. Why not? Hey, look, I mean, it's fun. Uh, that there's a point to discuss as we sort of close this thing out here. You and I have been very vocal about the fact that this is supposed to be fun. It's baseball. It's not life and death. It's a diversion. It's supposed to be fun for us. And the last month or two have been a lot of fun. It's really fun to follow the Cincinnati Reds right now, is it not? It is It is a ton of fun to follow the Reds right now. Like, I look forward to the games. That's crazy to say this team started 3-18. and Man, boy, game 22, I don't, I, there was about a week there. I was like, what, there's baseball? Baseball exists? No. Uh, I'm going to go back and play some clips from that one episode after they were 3-18 and 18 when you and I were just, oh my gosh, what's going on? And we can react to it. I don't think anybody. I'm, del- I'm deleting like those episodes. That. I mean, you know, even <laughs> the players are just like, oh my God, this is the worst. Well, uh, and it was, it was just. They weren't that bad. We knew they weren't that bad. But management had put them in a bad spot, and the hitters weren't hitting yet. The pitchers were just being what they we expected of them, the young pitchers, inconsistent. And uh, DiScafani got hurt preseason. So, yeah, I mean, you can see the reasons why. It's not all the fact that Jim Riggleman is a genius. Should no, we, no, we, it's, not, it's, not all, it's not all Jim Riggleman's. Should we touch on Riggleman just very briefly? Because Chris Garber, who is the, the co-author of a book called The Big 50, the many moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. I think it was Chris that said on Twitter the other day, if Jim Riggleman is such a genius, and again, this is, we shouldn't criticize him because, I mean, he's been fine. I mean, he's been okay. I don't have any issue, really, real issues with Jim Riggleman. He bunts too much, but, you know, whatever. Um, every manager of the Reds have had bunts too much. But if Jim Riggleman had this secret sauce that could turn the Reds around, he should be fired right now because he's been the bench coach of this team. Why didn't he tell Brian Price about this secret sauce so that they turned around before they went 3-18? and 18? You know? I mean, he was the bench coach. Yeah. So Hey, all you have to do is do this, and they'll suddenly be good. And by this, I mean have an entirely healthy roster. Exactly. Exactly. Although, you know, okay. let's let's. I'm going to give Riggleman some credit. Because if nothing else, I think he's been listening to the powers that be about some things because it is pretty clear to me that Brian Price was resistant to playing the young players. He was resistant to, uh, he was wanting to do things his way. He wanted Cliff Pennington. He wanted Phil Goslin. He wanted Giovanni Gallardo because things changed in terms of the makeup of the roster immediately upon his firing. So you got to wonder how much of that is Brian Price and the, now the Reds shouldn't have deferred now, to him. We We should say it also could very well be that, you know, that Jim Riggleman is an interim manager, not a manager, and the front office is saying to him, "You'll manage the roster we give you." Yeah. Well, they should have done that with Price, and and it looks like they were resistant to do that. Doesn't it look in retrospect like that was the case? Yeah, it does it absolutely does? And that's a failing of the front office. That's a criticism, a, a valid criticism of the front office. But it things changed immediately in terms of the composition of the roster and and young players getting to play. And, and and to me, the the idea that the front office is having a little bit more of a say is was never more evident than in the episode when Jesse Winker was benched by Jim Riggleman 
and then almost immediately said, uh, well, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'm going to, I can't let him sit. It, it looked too much like somebody had said, you're crazy, man. He's playing, period. Yeah. So. And boy, has he, you know. Yeah. He's been what we hoped he'd be. I mean, really, he struggled. But he's getting on base. He's hitting with power uh, recently. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I'm, I'm just as encouraged about Jesse Winker right now as I was before the season. I, I think he's going to be. Is he going to be an all-star? Maybe not. But he can be a solid corner outfielder on a really good hey, team. Jesse Winker, at this point in his career, has like 422 plate appearances and an 831 OPS. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, we'll take that. Absolutely, from a kid that's 24 who's older than Jose Peraza. Yes, who is older than Jose Peraza. This is... Yeah. I mean, we talk about the struggles Winker had this year, and he had a stretch where he was awful. His on-base percentage is just shy of 400 this year. Yep. Jesse Winker's good. I'm, I'm telling you guys, Jesse Winker is legit. Scott Shebler's legit. Can I say that? Scott Shebler is, is also legit. Like, it seems like he's finally gotten an extended period i feel like where he's not hurt hurt he's healthy he's not you know when he has slumped and he did slump a little bit like he hasn't just immediately been benched um right he's been given a chance to work through things and overall he's been good he's he's looking pretty good you know he's i feel like really this year uh the reds corner outfielders have just decided to dedicate themselves to vindicating every opinion you and i have ever expressed about them on the podcast it's kind of true when you look at duvall shebler and winker uh, yeah finally finally we were right we, we really were i mean really yeah but now hold on adam duvall has 53 rbis Chad, don't make me drive to Virginia and beat you up. And you're a judge, so I'll probably get in trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. Um, no, um, really. Shebler and Winkler. Winkler. I, that's the second time I've called him Winkler tonight. Hey. Yep. <laughs> a little, little Happy Days reference for you there, Jason. Oh, uh, they've hit. I mean, they've hit. Yeah. This is not a bad team. Gosh. And you can go back five podcasts ago and – hear us saying that they are a bad team actually i don't think you can we've been and, pretty consistent but uh man there's some fun players to watch here and chad let me tell you there is a time in the not very distant reds future where you could have a, the first four or what four or five in the lineup be senzel suarez winker Votto, what like shebler like <laughs> Guys that get on base. That's some power. That's I mean, that's a that's a good Nick people are gonna be shocked at how good Nick Senzel is, yes. I'm telling you. Yeah. I think people have sort of discounted him for some reason. Well, because the Reds have been so slow to bring him up. Yeah. People don't but, understand. People don't know. They don't see him. Let me tell you, I have seen him and he can hit. Such a shame. I feel so bad for that kid. We talked about and that last week. He is week. also faster than people think he is. He's an athlete, yeah, absolutely. He's going to be somebody who's going to come come up, and the you know sort of more sabermetrics type people like like you and I are going to be really excited about him because he does all of those things the right way. And then the people who just want to see somebody who looks like an athlete are going to be real happy because boy, he looks like an athlete. Yeah, they're going to see him go first to third, or they're going to see him make us a great play defensively, or yeah, um, yeah. But even just without Senzel, 
Tucker Barnhart, Joey Votto, Scooter Jeanette, Jose Peraza, Eugenio Suarez, Scott Shebler, J- Jesse Winker. That's seven out of the eight that are legit above average. Uh, well, Peraza, let's not. I know well, they not. are all above average in terms of on base percentage. No, t- Tucker isn't above average as a hitter, and Peraza and t- if you take out those first three games from Peraza, he's got a better OPS than Tucker does. Yeah. Um, but, but Tucker's uh, on base is three forty as a Gold Glove catcher. Yeah, well, yeah, and this is this is actually something I want to bring up, and I, and I want to make sure that people, I guess, are, are like aware of it, which is that like one of the absolute worst things you can do is compare a player to the generic league average in terms of their bat, like ability to hit. What you really need to do is look at like what players at their positions do, and not just for the season because it's weird. Like sometimes you'll have like a bumper crop. Like last year was the best season for third baseman literally in major league history. Like I looked this up. So Suarez's really great year looked lesser last year because it was just such a fantastic year for third baseman. But like if you look at what Peraza is doing against what shortstops historically do, he's a better hitter than you typically expect your starting shortstop to be throughout major league history. And he's and 14 same, years old. Yes, and he's he's 11, I believe. Oh, right. Um, and Tucker Barnhart, you know, it's the same deal. Is yeah. he an above-average major league hitter? No. Is he an above-average major league hitter for a catcher? Absolutely he is. Plus the gold glove defense. Plus the gold glove defense, yeah. yes. Yeah, Tucker has far exceeded any uh, expectations I had of him as a hitter. Uh, we expected the defense. And so uh, the last time Bill Lack was on, we talked about it. Because Tucker's been on the podcast here a couple times. And uh, I'm just so happy for that kid. Love him to death. Glad he's going to be a Red for a while. All right, Jason. The Reds are fun again. The Reds are fun. Baseball's fun. Yay, baseball. I'm glad because it was wearing me out because we do like baseball. We like having fun. And it was tough to watch this team every night for a while. But Giovanni Gallardo's gone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're going to close on. (laughs) That's what we're going to close on. I I do want to say one thing really quickly because I sort of made the promise that I would do this uh, really quickly. Two very quick movie reviews. Jason, uh, when Doug's on here, Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com, he and I sometimes do a, a quick movie review. And I've seen two movies this week that I want to uh, just mention very quickly. Um, mention movie, Chad. Uh, and uh, if you want to do a movie review, you're certainly welcome to. I'm not saying you can't, but number one, we saw an incredible, when we were in Cincinnati last week, and we saw an incredible documentary uh, called uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's the. Uh, doc- oh, I want to see that. Oh, you've I got Jason, you've got to, you have to make a, a time to go see it. Uh, it's the documentary about uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and it is, you know, um, it just, it's something I needed to see. It just sort of made my, my soul feel better, if that makes any sense. He just, I mean, it's the rare public figure who was as good as he sort of seemed on the screen and it's, it's a great documentary. It's going to get nominated for Academy Awards. Um, and if it doesn't win best documentary feature, I'll be extremely surprised, but Jason, you got to go see it, man. Take your kids, go see it. I, 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 well, is it, is it like a thing that my kids are going to want to watch? Well, maybe not your kids. They're a little younger than mine. My kids loved it, but my kids okay. are just, are, yeah, mine are, mine are still pretty small. So yeah, mine are a little, a little older than yours. And, and mine had seen some of, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, just uh, here and there. They didn't know a whole lot about it, but they enjoyed it. Um, and and, and uh, I, I just I love it. So um, I give it four and a half stars out of five. 
So uh, that's pretty uh, high praise from me. Won't you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? So anyway. I shall add it to my list. Yep, you you really should. Um, when you get, and even if you don't catch it in the theaters, although I would recommend getting seeing it as quickly as you can, definitely at some point catch up with that. The other one is the one that I saw today, and I took my son and my nephew to see it, and they were been so excited about this movie, and I had very low expectations for it. Uncle Drew, have you heard of this movie, Jason? I have not. Uncle Drew, <laughs> it's a movie based on a a set of uh, Pepsi Cola commercials. That sounds like a terrible way to come up with that concept for a movie, doesn't it? Oh, I'm I'm not sold at the moment. I was expecting it to be awful. Uncle Drew is Kyrie Irving, who's a a basketball player. I don't know you're not much of a basketball fan. I don't think Jason. Oh, oh, oh! I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They did this group these commercials that were funny of him uh, going out to these uh, dressing up as an old man, basically putting all this makeup on, going as an old man to these uh, uh, courts. Uh, Outdoor courts and just dominating players as an old guy and, and blowing people away. And they were great commercials, but I thought, come on, really? But my son, he's just obsessed with basketball. So we took him and my nephew and, and went to see the movie. And it was actually pretty good. It, it, I couldn't believe it. It was really, it was funny. It had a sort of a heartwarming story about these old guys uh, getting getting the old band back together. It had Chris Weber and uh, Shaq and uh, who else? Reggie Miller and uh, Nate Robinson. And they all were all had all this makeup on, looked like old guys, along with Kyrie. And they go and they play at Rucker Park, and they win. The, well, spoiler alert: they win the big tournament. But, surprise! <laughs> right? Yeah, no one's surprised <laughs> about that. But anyway, it was a it was really a not bad movie, Uncle Drew. So I don't know if you want to take you want to go see that one and take the kids, but uh, that, that'll probably be a wait till Netflix and you know that, yeah. that kind of night where I'm like, let's just watch something. Yeah. But it's not but, one to rush out and see, but. It surprised me because I expected it to be awful, and it was it was funny. It was good. You get to see Shaq's butt too. Oh that, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll never sleep again. All right. Anyway, Jason, any, any uh, final uh, comments on the Cincinnati Reds National League Baseball Club? I like the Cincinnati Reds National League Baseball Club, and I would like it if they would continue to do the things that they have been doing. Okay, last question on that point is, is there any reason to believe that they won't at least be a competitive team for the rest of this season? No, actually, there yeah. isn't. I think they are. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to they're, maybe they're not going to win 16 out of every 22 the rest of the way. I think I will say I think there's a chance depending on the trades they make that the last like couple months aren't as good as, you know, mm-hmm. what we might expect because they might be making trades very much with an eye toward next season as yeah. opposed to right now. Um, but uh yeah, if they trade but, scooter or something like that. I don't think no. I don't think this is a terrible team, and I don't think they're gonna. I think I mean they may very well have a stretch where they play kind of badly, like most teams do. But I don't think they're gonna be be like what we were scared of. Yeah, I wouldn't bet against them being a 500 team the rest of the way. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's apt, and that's something. All right. Well, this is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 216. That's hard to believe of the uh, the world's greatest Reds podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. You can find Red Leg Nation Radio. Go subscribe. Uh, I do, especially at iTunes, if you'll go and leave a rating and a review, really appreciate that. We've uh, You guys have been really generous to do that. Uh, but as we always say, if you like us, talk about us. Tell your friends. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Jason's on Twitter, at Jason Linden. I'm at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C. You can find us at Red Leg Nation on Twitter and at RedLegNation.com. 
where we're writing and talking about the, this crazy uh, team that for some reason we've all been, you know, had inflicted upon us. We've been writing about the Cincinnati Reds since 2005, and there's no end in sight, I guess. Um, Jason, it's always fun talking to you, buddy. Always a pleasure, Chad. All right, for Jason Linden and Lisa Alberto Bonilla, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.